0: Last Sunday, uh, I think it was last Sunday after church, early onset of uh, memory loss already. But uh, uh, something funny happened. Uh, We went out to the van, and this has started happening to us. It happened to us at a basketball game a couple weeks ago. We lose track of one of our uh, little tribe, and uh, the first time at a basketball game was Calvin, Unfortunately, some friends of ours had corralled him, and we got mixed signals and so, you know, we got up to the van and realized he's not there and, you know, suddenly it's frantic and, and it happened with Davy this last week. He got up to the van after church and, hey, he wasn't there. We thought, you know, both of us thought that the other person had him and so at least Cam, Cam, Sam, somebody, uh, came, you know, deployed like a military unit back inside to search for him and, um... Turns out that he had gone into the men's bathroom in the gym, and, uh, and so somebody, had, you know, here he's sitting on the potty, and somebody had turned off the lights on. So, you know, so i was really glad that Sam finally decided to look in there. I mean, I probably wouldn't have looked in there. Went in there, you know, and this voice from Davy, you know, and Sam says, "Davy, you ran here." Davy, you know, and so uh, Davy finally pipes up. Sam, will you wipe me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, but you probably had some of those feelings—not you know needing to be wiped—but of uh, you know when you lose something, um, your desire to find it right away and the frantic feeling you have, you know, about uh oh. You know, like you know, think of the last time you lost your car keys, um, or your credit card, or your wallet, or something like that. How you felt like. Oh, I've got, you know, the intensity is there. Um, I had this happen to me uh, last, was it, yeah, it was the end of last year, and then the year before, the same thing happened, is that we got to the end of a quarter, or maybe it was the end of semester, and, and uh, I lost my grade book, or at least thought I lost it. And we turned the house upside down to find that thing. Then I got back in the uh, car and drove here to school, and I um, found it in my room, of all places, of course, where it probably should have been. Um, but, you know, I was just like, oh, yeah, yay! And so there's this, you know, focused attention, you know, and you've got to find this thing. And uh, let me encourage you that the next time you lose your car keys, the next time you lose your credit card, that sort of thing, and, and you know, you find yourself in the midst of this uh, focused search, stop. And say to yourself, you know what? I'm having a New Testament moment. Um, now, you're probably wondering why would I say that. But um, the reason is that when you think about the New Testament and what it's, what's the big picture, what is this book really about, um, there are two major themes at least that come out. And the first one is, is that uh, it's about God reestablishing his rule on earth. You remember the Lord's Prayer where it talks about uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, the end of the book is the reestablishment of God's reign on earth. And that's the big theme of the book. But within that, there is a major theme about God mounting a rescue operation um, for lost people. And, uh, in fact, it's interesting. You find this throughout the New Testament, but it comes out especially in the book of Luke. In fact, the key verse of the book of Luke... um, I'll read it off the Sunday school thing. The kids are going to get one of these days. Uh, Is Luke 19.10, which says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me read you again. This is the key verse out of the book of Luke. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, Interesting, they're trying to teach these Sunday school kids Hebrew now. They've got it sort of backwards. Um, Where's Jim Kotzer. By the way, uh, I, I, this is a bunny trail, and um, if you're, you know, you're evaluating teaching, you get marked down for doing these. But uh, um, there's a picture here, for some reason, The Sunday school, I, I think it's with a different lesson on the back of this, and it has you know, the kids doing the right thing on the one side, the good thing on the other, one side, and the bad thing on the other side. And the second frame has the dad reading the newspaper with the lamp on, and the little kid's putting the picture in a puzzle. Now, the bad frame, Jim is uh, there's a dad sitting in the same chair, but they got the lamp out now, Um, and there's this little kid playing the drums, and the dad's frowning at him, and anyway, just thought you'd be interested in that. (laughs) Um, But uh, that's the key verse of the book of Luke, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, and connected to that is the key chapter in the book of Luke, which is chapter 15, because in chapter 15 you have... Jesus giving three parables about things that are lost. The first thing is a sheep, the second thing is a coin, and the third thing is his son. Uh, and it's the key chapter in the book of Luke. And so uh, this morning we're gonna look at the first part of the book of uh, chapter fifteen, the key chapter in the book of Luke. Um, I'm starting to foam at into mouth like that dog in that little commercial for <laughs> If you watch football, you have to watch those beer commercials, you know, and the little cock, what is it, a golden retriever that's foaming at the mouth? Um, anyway, um, sorry. So before we jump into Chapter 15 and really start looking at this in uh, some depth, um, I'd like you to give some thought to this whole question about rescue operations and things that are lost that are rescued and, and how often they come up in life or literature or art or music or whatever. Um... And, and, and what I did was I thought, well, I had to make an off-the-top-of-the-head list of things just off the top of my head the other day. It uh, came to mind when you think about rescue operations. You think about SWAT teams uh, saving hostages. You think about war. War is often a rescue operation. Uh, think about World War II, by the way, is, is an interesting combo of the two major themes in the New Testament in terms of one is to reestablish rule and the other is to rescue. Think of the Gulf War. We well, need to rescue the Kuwaitis. Um, You think about another thing that's common is people who get lost. Um, If you go on the web and do a uh, um, search term, yeah, that's what it's called, um, on rescue, uh, you'll run into these search and rescue teams, uh, search and rescue websites. Um, They're all over the place. Uh, Marriages get lost and they need rescuing. Uh, Parents trying to restore lost relationships with kids. Uh, here's one for uh, all of those of you who love airports. Lost luggage. Um, lost car keys. We talked about those. Here's a new one for the, uh, this century. Actually, the last 20, 30 years. Crashed computers with all that lost information. Um, think about, uh, uh, in recent history, how often the Jews have been connected to rescue operations. Think of the Entebbe situation in Uganda back in the 70s. Or think of Operation Solomon. Uh, where, the Jews re- uh, where the Israelis rescued about 15,000 Ethiopian Jews in the early 90s in about a 36-hour period. They flew into uh, the airport at Addis Ababa. And, is that how that's pronounced, Joe? Yeah. Um, and uh, Air listed out 15,000. In fact, they had over 1,000 people in the uh, belly of one of their planes uh, because the bad guys were about to maybe massacre them. And anyways, really exciting Story, uh, Or the rescue of the Jews in the Holocaust. Or in literature, it shows up in the Iliad. Um, the Greeks fail to save Helen from Troy, rescuer. Um, or in The Hobbit, you know, Bilbo's going to help the dwarves rescue their gold. Or Lord of the Rings, you've got all these rescue subplots. Uh, Robin Hood is full of rescues. Shrek uh, is about a rescue. Um, even, think of, even think of some of really the, the higher forms of... Uh, of uh, cultural expression like Gilligan's Island. Um, <laughs> you know, the backdrop to that whole thing that provides part of the interest and the tension is the fact that, uh, you know, you're hoping they're going to, you're wondering if they're going to get rescued, hoping for them to be rescued. Same thing, by the way, that happens in Robinson Crusoe and Swiss Family Robinson. <coughs> you know, this rescue theme is a common thing, and that's because in a fallen, imperfect world, people get lost. Um... Anyway, so this morning, we're going to look at uh, these, uh, these passages. Um, but let me, let me remind you that um, the reason why this rescue stuff is often such high drama and, and we find to be so interesting is because something important is at stake. Um, and so when we think about God's rescue operation, um, nothing could be more important. Think about, of all the things that could be rescued. Uh, what could be more important than a human being? And God is involved in a rescue operation to save lost people. And so uh, let's jump in to chapter 15. Go there in your Bible if you want. Um, I'll begin to read. King Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, gathering around Jesus, And uh, by the way, you've already seen this foreshadowed in uh, Luke chapter 5, same thing going on. Um, But uh, verse 2, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, muttered is a key word here, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now step back from that for a moment and think about it in terms of uh, the contrast between what God is about in the world and what they were interested in. Because here's God who is mounting this rescue operation and sending his son uh, to die in the world to save these sinners. Um, And here you've got these uh, religious leaders, the Jews, who on the other hand over here um, are are muttering, um, are thinking, you know, stay away from those people, are critical, basically, of God's rescue operation. And it's an incredible contrast between what they value. Um, they value their law and their purity, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, far and value themselves, far more, than these people who need to be saved. Uh, and God, on the other hand, um, clearly values these lost people. And this is something to keep in mind, because in terms of these parables, uh, it's important to keep that in mind. Okay, there's a contrast here between what God is about and what he values and what these folks are about and what they value. Um... Notice that uh, they're being very critical of Jesus even for eating with these people. Now, you need to understand that uh, back in those days, hosting a meal or having a meal with somebody was a much more significant cultural event than it is now. Nowadays, you know, we'll have people over. But uh, it doesn't have the same kind of rituals involved, doesn't have the same kind of cultural significance, doesn't mean as much. Um, But back then, it actually meant something significant. Um, So for him to have them over... Uh, or to be with them around a meal uh, he was saying something very significant about their value to him um, now it is interesting that uh, um, they're saying don't have them over for a meal or don't eat with them and uh, God is saying no not only do I want to eat with these people um, but I want to have them over as eternal house guests in fact more than house guests but family um, so you have this big contrast that's going on um, And so as a result of this conflict over this mission, this rescue mission, Jesus then launches into three parables, and I have mentioned the third one, of course, is the prodigal son, the lost son. You're familiar with that. Um, But we're going to look at uh, the first two, because the first two are a pair. Um, Even though they concern different, uh, you know, you've got a a lost sheep and a a lost coin, um, two different actors, Um, they're basically, interestingly enough, structured the same. So let me read through them for you, beginning verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Then verse 8, he says, there, Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and carefully search until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me I have have found my lost coin in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents now let's walk through these uh, in terms of their parallel structure and the first thing you notice is that uh, who Jesus chooses as the lead actor in each story um starts off the first one, by the way, and connects with Pharisees by, Pharisees by saying, at least in the case of the first one, suppose one of you, and so he's trying to put uh, this story into their minds as though, you know, imagine that you're one of these people, but notice who he chooses. Um, he chooses a shepherd. Suppose one of you were a shepherd, is what he's saying here. Now, you've got to understand that uh, at this time period, and Mike referred to this recently uh, when he was teaching Shepherds were not held in high esteem. Um, They certainly wouldn't be considered uh, the bank presidents or the uh, heads of uh, key law firm type positions. Um, They were lowly, lowly, lowly looked down upon. But what's interesting, though, is that uh, Jesus would choose this because you find in the Old Testament uh, a real contrast there because you notice how God refers to himself in, in a number of places as a shepherd. For instance, in Psalm 23, says, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, and then in Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 10, uh, the Lord says, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who gathered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. See, in the Old Testament, there's this imagery of God being a shepherd and rescuing, gathering You also find in Ezekiel chapter 34 an even more pointed connection here because of talking to the leaders, the religious leaders of Israel. Um, Down in verse 11, um, first of all, he's been critical of the shepherds of Israel. Um, And the Pharisees and these guys are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. Um, He says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Now, the point I think is being made, uh, or at least one of the points, and and certainly they should have understood this, is that here you've got these religious leaders who are supposed to be good shepherds over the flock, uh, and yet... uh, They didn't even care for the lost sheep. Uh, And the contrast is with God, who desperately loves these people and is on a rescue operation to save them. Um, So that's the first person, that's the first actor that he introduces. The second actor is a woman. Um, And as you know, women were not exactly the cultural stars back then. That introducing a woman into the story uh, was something that would catch these guys' attention. And so what he's done here, by the way, is... uh, has established a a way to catch your attention, but also he's, in a sense, um, he's widened the circle of undesirables, and he's created even more tension for the Pharisees as they listen to this thing. Um, And notice the second thing is that uh, each one of them has lost something of value. The shepherd uh, has lost one of his sheep, and... uh, you know, we're, we're not in that kind of economy back then, and so the idea of, well, one sheep, you know, we're in a... You've you got to realize that we're in sort of a throwaway economy. You know, your stove goes out, you know, you, uh, you, know, you throw it away, or if you lose some stuff, uh, well, you just go on, because we're in such an incredibly productive economy. But back then, losing one sheep was an important thing. Uh, and then the second story, you have a case of a woman losing a coin. Now, when we hear that, you know, we, we lose coins all the time. Um... But you need to understand that probably what was happening here, um, you notice that it was one out of ten, um, is that this was part of her dowry, is what a number of commentators think. In fact, they think that uh, um, women would wear these uh, around their neck uh, as part of a sort of a necklace. Um, and so uh, losing one of these things uh, was highly significant. And so that's why she goes to such incredible efforts. You know, if if uh, Jim and Carrie are around the house and, and their big dog you know comes by and knocks over their, their coin dish, Carrie's um, not going to account for all of those little coins. Um, but uh, you know in this case, it would certainly be something that would be important to find. And, and Maybe one way to relate to you gals uh, would be imagine if you had an heirloom uh, ear- earring or ring or if it's a wedding ring and that sort of thing. You know, it reminds me of when uh, we were on our honeymoon in Chicago. Uh, I about gave my wife a heart attack because I was so unused to this ring thing. And uh, I had never worn <laughs> rings before, um, except the secret decoding ring from you know, <laughs> Cracker Jack, you know, just, um, you could decode all the secrets of the world. Um, but, uh, so, you know, I get this ring, and it's bothering my finger. I, um, and so I'm doing this all the time, you know, taking it on and off. And, and, uh, and so we're standing. We go to Chicago, and... Um, some friends of ours have lent us an apartment for a week, and so we're taking the L various places. And so I'm standing there, you know, and you know, the thing has sort of, uh, it's not just, you know, with, you know, if you drop your ring, it won't land on a flat surface. It was all these, you know, openings, because we're up on the platform. And I'm doing this, and, you know, the thing drops, and, you know, Lisa sees it, and, uh, you know, we're both, you know, struck with fear. And uh, fortunately, I think it's a kindness of God; it lands in the right place, and I'm able to retrieve it. But uh, you know, you can you can imagine um, the sense of uh, intensity that this woman is feeling over this valuable thing that she's lost. Um, anyway, the next parallel is that what happens is that each person, the shepherd and the woman, both mount a rescue operation. Um, the shepherd leaves the flock in the open country. Now, probably it's a situation where usually more than one. Person person is uh, with a flock this big. So he's leaving it with another person. It's not like he's being totally irresponsible. Um, But he leaves it, and he goes after this lost sheep, pursues it. Um, The woman, she lights a lamp, she uh, sweeps the house, she searches very carefully. And so both of them are mounting a rescue operation. And now notice that uh, what's required here in both cases is effort. Um, now when you think about um, think about ourselves in terms of uh, in terms of the Great Commission. Um, you know that as Christians, God has uh, Jesus has commanded us to be part of his rescue operation. You know, he's got this thing going on. And we can act, we can opt out, by the way. I mean it is an option. You're free. He's not gonna, you know, wake you up in the middle of the night and say, Hey, you know, I've been paying attention to your uh, life, and you know he's going to let you opt out. You are free to do that, it, not in the sense that he's he's commanding you to do it, but he's not going to force you. Um, and so we're all commanded to obey and be part of this rescue operation. Um, but uh, there is some things that are inherently part of this rescue operation, and one of them is that it requires effort. Um, and I think one of the interesting things that we do in life and I know that I'm very guilty of this, um, is I often often don't don't face up to the amount of time and energy that is involved in in actually making sure something gets done. You know, I have a tendency throughout my life, and I've really been trying to work on this thing, um, of being too optimistic about how much time and energy I can give or I'm willing to give to get something done. Um, And, you know, it's kind of a sobering thing to come to grips with with that, that, that you tend to be uh, unrealistic about those things. Um, we did a thing in the, in uh, Laura and Jessica's class recently, um, walking through some material out of this great book called Philosophy for Dummies. I saw that I knew I had to have it, um, not because of the philosophy part. Um, by the way, uh, you know, usually we see these books in the bookstore for dummies, you know, and sort of poo-poo them. Um, at least in this case, I don't read many of the other dummies books, but uh, in this case, it is one of the best philosophy books I've ever seen. Um, because what's, what's happened here is there's a Christian scholar they actually picked to do it. Uh, in fact, a guy who wrote a book uh, a while back called God and the Philosophers. Uh, this guy's really sharp. Um, and, uh, and, you know, you wonder why in the world would, he, would they let him do it. Because uh, he did an interesting thing is that uh, he'd been a philosophy professor for a number of years and then decided he was going to make a turn in his life and uh, started speaking to business people. Um, And now, does this all over the country, he is probably one of the most highly paid philosophers in our nation. Um, Anyway, so they chose him to do this, and so uh, he, in the midst of all these cool chapters, in fact he's got this great chapter by the way, if you're looking for a great introduction to Pascal's Wager, um, this is where to find it. Um, But uh, he's got this chapter um, on success and happiness in life, and he talks about these universal conditions of success. And in my opinion, the few pages that he's talking about here are worth the, are worth the price of the book easily. Um, so we walked through them uh, in our government econ class, and I wanted the students to begin to think about this stuff. I um, you know, felt so guilty about not having thought about it enough in my life. Um, but he's got some cool things in here, and he talks about you know if you want to be successful, I and mean, he's drawing from philosophical sources and really causing you to think about it at an interesting level. Um, he talks about these things, uh, to do, a clear conception of what we want, a vivid vision, a goal clearly and By the way, all of these things apply to this whole oper- rescue operation stuff as far as us being involved. Strong confidence that we can attain the goal. Um, and I, in my opinion, when it comes to this whole issue about being involved in the rescue operation, I think this is one of the things that keeps us, uh, we don't have strong confidence that uh, we're going to attain this goal or be a significant part of this thing. Uh, focused concentration on what it takes to reach that goal, a stubborn consistency in pursuing our vision, an emotional commitment to the importance of what we're doing, uh, etc. And he's got a couple others that are important. And, and uh, the ones that struck me the most, uh, thinking about this thing, is a focused concentration on what it takes to reach that goal and a stubborn consistency in pursuing it. Um, and uh, you know, I realized that in my life... Uh, uh, and this is the area where I often fall down is uh, staying focused and being stubbornly consistent about it and I think that when we talk about uh, um, about thinking about our lives and applying them um, to this rescue operation and being part of that, this is one area that I think is really required um, you know and it 's required for lots of other things in life it 's you know just this, this basic idea about focusing and and being consistent is uh, something that you can use in school, even, Kristen. Um, uh, no, I, that's, you know, I know you focus. Um, let me find this. Uh, anyway, um, but uh, it's a really important thing to do. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, I should mention that uh, there's some things Lisa and I are trying to get focused on. Um, and so as a result of that, uh, and thinking through this stuff, and... Um, we're going to, I'm going to take about a three to six month break from teaching at church and uh, elder duties to try to focus on these things um, but uh, you know this whole idea when it comes to uh, this rescue operation and the role that we play in it, um, we really need to face reality and, and the reality is is that uh, you know if you really want to be part of this thing, it can't be something that's just sort of a side thing that you know, that's interesting and I know I should be involved in and, you know, maybe it will someday, or you know, you know, if, if opportunity presents itself my way. But maybe the way we ought to think about this is say, okay, maybe we need to apply some of these things to it. Maybe we need to say, okay, let's go after this thing. Let's focus on it, and let's really be part of this thing. Let's get part of the action. Um, anyway, I'm just struck by this stuff because when I think about my relationship with uh, with this rescue operation that God's mounting. You know, if I were to sort of do an evaluation of myself through the years, this is one of the places where I'd really mark myself low. That, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't consistently focused and uh, really poured myself into it enough. Um, anyway, it's something to think about because it really does require effort. Um, and what makes it even worse is that, uh, you know, when I go out uh, and plant things in my yard, it requires a little bit of effort. Um, but usually, you know, I stick to the easy things like bulbs and other things like that. You know, they just come up automatically. But part of the reason that makes this a little more difficult is that uh, the rescue operation that we're involved in, or that God wants us to be involved in, you know, you're going to meet with indifference sometimes. A lot of times you're going to meet with hostility. And so it isn't one of these things where, okay, okay I'll just focus on that and it'll, it'll happen. You know, in the same way that, you know, we have those jars that are hard to get off, you know, because you are stuck. You know, if you just focus on it enough, you're probably going to get it off, you know, by smashing it on the floor or something. Um, but, uh, but this is different, um, is that a lot of times you're going to meet indifference. You're going to meet hostility. And so that even compounds and requires even more effort. Um, and so I think the key question for us, maybe, uh, is two-part. The first one is, how interested are you, really, how interested are we really in being part of this rescue operation? Is this something that, you know, when you think about it, you think, yeah, boy, yeah, that's really where I want to be. I want to be part of that action. You know, these are the kind of evaluative questions we ought to be asking ourselves. And and then the second question goes beyond that, um, because if you say, yeah, I really want to be part of that action, um, the second question really becomes, then how willing are you to make the effort Uh, to jump in and actually do something because it's one thing to be interested Uh, I'm still interested in playing for the Boston Celtics Um, but it's another thing um, to be willing to uh, put that effort out Um, anyway something to think about let's go to the next one Uh, next parallel is that um, and this is one I think is very encouraging is that both of them find the lost thing the shepherd finds the sheep and the woman finds the coin and then what they do is that they don't just rejoice by themselves, but it's a community thing. They go find their friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me. Um, an interesting example of this, uh, a couple of them. Um, a few years ago in Peru, I don't mem- know if you remember this story, um, but uh, some uh, this leftist group named Tupac Amaru, uh, I don't know if it's any relation to Tupac Shekhar or whatever his name is, um, but uh, they took uh, some hostages in the Japanese embassy. There's a big reception going on, and they grabbed a bunch of people, let a bunch of them go. And there's a standoff for a while, but the, uh, the Peruvian president, the famous Alberto Fujimori, remember him from Fernando de Soto's material, um, decides that he's not going to put up with this, and so he mounts a rescue operation. And it's very focused and very determined. And uh, they do some cool things, like dig underneath a tunnel. And, and then uh, right at the time where these uh, rebels were in there playing soccer in one of these big halls, they blew up the floor. Um, and, you know, and then have a three-pronged assault. It's just, you know, these, if you like those sort of things. Um, anyway, but it's interesting, as you read this article, um, there's a number of cases, uh, or things in the article that says, um, moments later, uh, smoke poured from the residents. Uh, you know, this is after they defeated them. And triumphant soldiers hauled down the guerrilla's red flag, and hostages and rescuers cheered and jubilantly sang the Peruvian national anthem. You know, and they're, they're joyful together. Um, and then uh, when Fujimoro ends up touring the compound uh, afterwards, soldiers raise their fists and shout in triumph. And uh, less than an hour after the raid, Fujimoro strapped in a bulletproof vest and entered the compound, he shook the ex-hostages' hands, and join them and the soldiers in singing the National Anthem. They go to the hospital and there's tears along the road, you know, of everybody and that sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, when people get rescued, um, the natural result is joy. And, uh, and I think one of the interesting things about this, not only is the fact that people do get rescued, which, by the way, when it comes to this whole question of whether you have confidence that this thing could happen, it really does people do become Christians. Um, And, uh, you know, we tend maybe to, because of our own experience in that area, you know, have a lack of confidence about being part of the rescue operation, actually seeing people become Christians. But, you know, i got to think about this. uh, This really is kind of odd that we have that lack of confidence because if you think about all the belief systems in the world, uh, which there's a lot of them, and there are a lot of strange ones and interesting ones, but did you know that Christianity... Is the most followed belief system in the world. Um, there's more people that believe this thing is true than there are of any other belief system in the world. Um, people do get rescued, um, anyway. But uh, the interesting thing here is that in both of the, uh, in both of these parables of the uh, sheep and the coin, um, both of them are built as a chiasm, which is means that the sort of like an A structure B C be A, Um, so that the first thing in the parable um, in some ways parallel with the last thing and and then the middle thing over here is the focus of the parable. And in each of these cases, um, they both go like this and the focus is the rescue, or the restoration, and then the joy. Um, And I think that part of what's going on here is that God is trying to send a message, Jesus is trying to send a message to these Pharisees. There's a contrast. Um, between God's heart um, and His excitement and His joy in heaven, because you know the, the thing is about the rejoicing uh, in front of the angels and that sort of thing. Um, the joy there is in heaven over the rescue of these people versus you know these people who don't care. You know this is this is not one of if you know you ask the Pharisees and, you know give me your list of the things that really make you excited and, and that bring you joy in life. Um, the rescue of these lost sinners is not one of them. Um, but in contrast, when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to the Father, um, this is a big thing, a big rejoicing. And so the question then becomes for us, uh, I think we're faced with the same question uh, out of this parable is, when you think of the things that bring you joy in life, um, where is this stuff on it? You know, uh, if you make your list... Uh, you know, these are, the things that really, these are the things that really cause me to rejoice, uh, that really just get my adrenaline pumping and uh, that I'm really excited about. Um, as you think about that, is this one of the top things on your list? Um, you know, I get all sorts of joy over my kids, um, especially, you know, my littlest one right now is just at the age where, um, you know, just spending time with him is just its like a fountain of joy. But you know, I have to ask myself, this 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 material has been really convicting for me um, this last week, uh, because I have to ask myself, okay, you know, when I think of the things that bring me the most joy in life, you know, is this high on my list? Am I thrilled um, about the idea of seeing people, especially lost people, uh, coming to Christ? And, uh, you know, I realize that, uh, that I'm not as thrilled as I should be, you know? this is convicting for me. And, and we should all ask ourselves this question, you know. Where's your joy meter when it comes to this stuff, you know? Is it, you know, if you're at the, you know, at the circus and you hit the thing, you know, how high does that, does that thing go up? Um, it's kind of convicting. Anyway, um, and I think part of that, part of the issue there um, is related to love. Um, because, you know, God has this gracious love for these lost people. And, um, you know, part of the question is, is uh, have we become so distracted in our lives? Have we been caught up so much in our own cares and worries in this world that our love for these lost people maybe isn't what it ought to be? Maybe if we thought through that thing more um, and focused on it more, uh, that might really change. But, you know, God loves these people desperately, um, And what Jesus is trying to say here, uh, I think to the Pharisees, is that, you know, I am mounting a rescue operation. I have come to seek and to save the lost. And you guys, in contrast, um, you know, look what you're like. You need to switch. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, there's some lessons for us here. You know, we're certainly not the Pharisees. And I am not Trying to make that parallel at all, because uh, you know we're all we're in the family already, and I know that we have care. But uh, you know maybe the application for us doesn't become a level whether you care. Um, but maybe you know we each of us have to examine our own hearts in this thing and, and our lives and ask ourselves. You know when I think and I think too, by the way, asking future-oriented questions are good. Um, you know, we have to ask ourselves. You know as I think about my future. You know, whatever time I have left on this earth. Uh, and I think about this rescue operation that God's mounting. You know, to what degree do I intend um, to get in on some of that action? You know, it's an interesting question. And, and uh, you know, we need to live in the here and now, but, but we need to ask ourselves that question too, you know, as you think about your future. Um, to what degree do you want to be, a, be part of that action? That's pray. Lord, we want to thank you, first of all, for mounting a rescue operation for our sake. That we realize that we were lost and headed for disaster, and yet you loved us enough to send your Son and rescue us out of darkness. So we pray for ourselves and ask you that you would supernaturally give us that kind of love for other people who are lost, that you would also help us to come to grips with wherever we are in life and, and if there need to be adjustments in what we intend to do in our lives in terms of getting connected to your rescue operation and getting on the uh, team and playing a role there, that you would help us to come to grips with that. Lord, we we, we love you for, because you first loved us. And we're so grateful for your kindness in our life. In Jesus' name. Amen.